This is Peak Earth. I'm Case Bradford. Thank you for tuning in to this episode with Alex Cherry. Alex brings the heat in this episode. I just finished editing and listening back. I came away feeling fired up. His energy is infectious, he's contagious, he's compelling. And he went from being addicted to heroin, attempting to commit suicide, spending time in jail, and now he's at a place where he's inspiring others to uplift themselves from the darkness, achieve a place of health, fitness, vitality. He's going to schools to inspire the youth because he realizes that the youth is our future and they need a grander vision. They need to be involved with something bigger than themselves in order to avoid the trap that he and many others fall into, one of drugs, one of despair, one of darkness. I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation with Alex. I appreciate you tuning in. Hope you enjoy as well. If you've been tuning in to Peak Earth, whether it's your first time or your third time or your 45th time, maybe you've listened to every episode. Thanks. I appreciate you a lot. If you'd like to contribute in some way, here are a few ideas. You could share an episode across the social medias, across the internet. That's always cool. Brightens my day every time. You could leave a five-star review on Apple or Spotify. Also makes me feel incredible and something that is legitimately really helpful. Third, you could become an astronaut. You could make your way to the moon or to Mars, whichever opportunity presents itself first. And when you're there, you could plant a flag with the Peak Earth logo on it. That would get an enormous amount of attention. That would make this podcast grow to the moon, metaphorically and non-metaphorically. Of course, all that is optional. Just throwing it out there. Bringing it home now to say... Really appreciate you listening. Thank you. And I hope you enjoy this episode with Alex Cherry. How's it going? Dude, Case, I am having a beautiful day. Like I told you prior to hitting record on here, I am loving life, highly caffeinated. Life is beautiful. What can I say other than that? Awesome. Love to hear it. Glad, glad to be connected. You've got a great energy and, and I can already already sense it from you in just the first 10 seconds of this of this conversation that we're having. And I guess one place that I, I could start is caffeine. Like we mentioned being highly caffeinated. I'm, I'm probably moderately caffeinated myself. What do, what do you think about caffeine in general? I know there's a lot of debate and controversy over this substance. I don't know, man. I don't tell people what to do in their own lives, but I love caffeine. It's absolutely amazing. Give me a black coffee, specifically today, the Starbucks Nitro Cold Brew, just black. That's it. You know what I mean? I'm a simple man. Um, I will say my caffeine addiction has sprung from drinking like bangs. I'm sure you know what those are, dude. Oh my gosh, those are the devil. Um, I used to drink drinks like that all the time. I'm like, I need to stop this. So like I've severely limited it down. Like I say highly caffeinated. I don't drink over 500 milligrams a day typically. You know, I'm on the low end, but I mean, I love black coffee. It's delicious and it makes me go. And I have a lot of stuff on my to-do list every day and I like to accomplish it. And I've just so found out that Zins and black coffee get me through my day and I zing, man. Awesome. Yeah, it's it's funny how people will point. I, I'm trying to wrap my head around this like uh, sort of demonization of, of coffee or caffeine. It, it almost seems like, I mean, there's sort of, on, on one hand, there's this, there's this um, aspect of, of society that I'm noticing where people will blame 
other things before they blame themselves where it's like, it's the coffee's fault. It's the, um, you know, it's <laughs> whatever it is. It's the sugar's fault. It's, you know, it's the alcohol's fault when it's like, maybe you should take some responsibility for, uh, for your own mind and, and the choices that you're making before you blame something outside of yourself. It all comes down to personal responsibility, man. You said it just great. Like I don't drink caffeine like after three or 4 PM cause I like to sleep. And I've realized if I drink it later, it's going to interrupt my sleep. It's all about how you use it at the end of the day. It's about the tool. Um, you know, every time you look at the mainstream media, one day they're going to say eggs are great for you. The next day they're going to say eggs are horrible for you. Like no one's, they're always going to try to put a label on this and get inside people's heads. Uh, for instance, this is a great thing. Yesterday, there was an article from the New York Post going around. Oh, there's no uh, studies that show exercise is good for mental health. You don't, I don't need a study to know that exercise is good for my mental health. So like, I just disregarded that, didn't even click on it because like, I don't need you to tell me what I know is good for me because I know it's good for me. I feel it. That's completely insane. Yeah, especially when we understand that the, the body and the mind are just one thing, you're essentially saying that exercise is not good for the health of the body or the mind. Like that's completely insane. And obviously just a straight up lie. There's no truth in that whatsoever. And it's pretty questionable that anyone would actually publish that at an institution. Like, you know, that's, <laughs> I suspect it was an old bait and switch headline. People like to do that all the time now. Cause they're all about driving clicks to their website. So I didn't even click it cause they weren't getting one click from me. I was not entering the statistics of somebody so they could show their advertisers that I clicked on it. I know it was almost likely the bait and switch. Like they always do. So I was like, why are you even going to do this to people? Because the majority of people are are very shallow and lazy nowadays, and they don't read into things. Uh, social media is both the best thing in the world and the worst thing in the world, and it kind of alludes back to the very first point we started with this. It's a tool. It's about how you use it. And sadly, people um, look at the obesity rate. I always go back to that. That is the key determination that people are getting lazier. Um, <laughs> it's just insane. It is. It is. We got to find our way out of this insanity. And caffeine certainly can be a helpful tool in that so long as we've got some protocols around it, like not drinking it too late so it doesn't disrupt the mm -hmm. circadian rhythm and our, our deep sleep cycles. And when it comes to yep. substances or, or drugs, do you use any others at this point or is it only caffeine? Do you enjoy any other? You mentioned nicotine. That's another one which I also enjoy. That can be that can be used a little bit later in the evening if you need to pick me up because yeah. the half life is a lot shorter. Yeah. But that's a that's a beautiful substance as well that gets sort of a bad rap, but it can be nootropic, can be brain nourishing mm -hmm. in, on some level. Um, are there any others that you enjoy? I mean, I love alcohol and I love marijuana. And it's funny, I'm actually, what's today, Wednesday. So I'm about 10 days clean from both right now. Um, I don't think either of those are inherently bad by any means. It all comes down to moderation at the end of the day. I wasn't taking them to extremes. I would say the marijuana possibly because I was smoking every night. And again, I wasn't smoking all day. It was one of those things where it was part of my nightly routine. Like after nine o'clock, I'd, I'd get a bowl out, I'd smoke it. It made stretching better. It made music sound better. It's just enjoyable. It's a wind down. But I realized that I would sleep later in the day and the next day I'd hit snooze a little bit more. I was a little lethargic in the morning. My brain wasn't clicking as, as much as I wanted it to and out as much as I knew it could. So I came to a crossroads last Sunday. I'm like, okay, here, Alex, you have so many goals and responsibilities right now and you're doing them all right, but you could do them even better. What can we cut out of your life in order to do that? And alcohol and weed, obviously, were at the forefront of that list. It's like, okay, these are enjoyable. And why am I doing these things? It was really just coming down to evaluating 
what I really wanted in life. Yeah. Like I associate alcohol with just like hanging out with friends, playing some pool, playing some darts. And, um, I'm like, you know, that's fun, but what would be better? Oh, achieving my goals and going where I know the daydream in my mind wants to take me. So I was like, you know what? Um, we're just not going to do these anymore. Is it going to be forever? No, but like, I have a lot of things that I want to accomplish and it came down to priorities for me. Having fun is fun, but achieving my goals is better and more satisfactory to my life. And I'm like, okay, so we need to cut these out right now because it's just not adding to my life. It's not adding any value. Yeah. That's a powerful choice that, that you can make to kind of put some of those things aside to make more progress. It's, it can be difficult though. And well, actually maybe just to take a step back, how, how old are you now? And when, when were you always looking at life? sort of through this lens or, or is this a change? That <laughs> Dude, if I was looking at life through this lens, I'd be a fucking millionaire. Holy <laughs> shit. Would I be, man? I wish I was, I was a freaking idiot from 20 to 30, not 20 to 30. Cause I'm 31 right now. Just turned 31 last, last month at the start of this month rather. Um, so my majority of my 20s, like 20 to 26, dude, I was just straight skate, like skating by essentially, you know, 20 to 25 was my hardest point in life. You know, I just didn't turn 21. I had a great job, fell into the wrong social circles, started doing re uh, prescription opiates for fun. And then all of a sudden it wasn't fun anymore. And it was addiction and man, addiction takes you down a really weird path in life. And it turns you into somebody that you never thought you could become. And uh, it literally changes you. And, uh, you know, I stole a lot of money from my job, subsequently got fired from that job because I stole that money to feed that addiction. Um, but my stealing wouldn't stop there. I'd steal from my family to feed that addiction. I would go to jail. I would go to rehab. And thankfully, I've been clean off opiates for almost six, coming up on six years this year. But dude, that, that, that turmoil and animosity and adversity I went through in my early 20s was completely necessary to lay the foundation of my life to what is really important in life and really start to solidify this, this mindset that I have today. And, uh, even when I got out of rehab, like I was in this personal development space, but from 27 to 31, dude, it is night and day. Like I expedited hundred X my personal development by going through all that stuff and realizing like, Hey, I have to work 10 times harder than the average person because I have a shitty criminal record and I have a past that I have to work above. I have to, so most people can go into a job and kind of skate by. I couldn't. I felt like I had to go in there and give 110% because I had something to prove. Like I had a history, you know, come from a small town. Everybody knows everybody, you know, you can't get away from that past. So I always felt that I had to work a little harder, man. So like where I'm at now, and especially I would say the last two years with the advent of finding Twitter and kind of like the side of Twitter that I found you on, like the health, wellness, uh, the hustle side of Twitter, like finding that dude really revolutionized in my mind how to use social media. Cause I used to be that guy who used social media to doom scroll to see, Oh, that new classmate got a new truck. Oh, he's got a new house. Oh, they got a family. Like it had everything that I wanted. And I was just like dwelling on the fact that I didn't have it. So like social media was killing me. I was a Bitcoin anon in 2019, just running around shit post and being a troll, being an idiot, you know, cause hide, hide behind an anonymous account. I found Zach Homel's Twitter account. And that really is what put in perspective, like, people are doing this on Twitter. About a week later, I, I, I made an official Twitter account with my own name on it and my face on it. And that changed the game for me because now I couldn't 
say some things that I was saying to people before, because you know who I am now. <laughs> so, so it really put a, it, it put accountability on me to be a better person in, in, in finding people left and right, you know, cause you find one Twitter account, then you meet somebody else from them and then you meet somebody else. And then fast forward, it gets me on a podcast with you right now and seeing what you're doing and cleaning up the, the, see the ocean and everything, which is amazing. Like to find all these amazing people, it rubs off on you. I'm a huge believer in you are the sum of the five people that you hang out with. And the people that I surround myself on Twitter are people who are all trying to get more out of their life in their business and their health and their wellness and their relationships. And in doing so, I have 10 X my life from two years ago, probably a hundred X. I, I, I just can't like right now I'm talking to you in Florida. I'm traveling while working. If you would have told me three years ago, I'd be traveling and work. I'd be like, how the hell can I do that? I was working in a factory, dirty as shit making car parts. I hated life. And now I'm here in Florida right now talking to you. I was like, life comes at you fast when you want it to, man. And it's, it's, it's been a beautiful ride, man. That's awesome. What a beautiful story. And there's so many touch points along the way we could dive into. First, I guess I'll just say happy, happy birthday, you know, earlier this month, 31. That's, that's yeah, a big, thank you. <laughs> I recently, I turned 33 earlier this month as well. So we get both, uh, you know, March birthday Happy is going birthday, in. brother. When's your birthday? It's uh, March 13th. Oh, I thought you were going to say the third. I was like, holy shit, brother. Mine's the third. <laughs> well, th there's a few things that you mentioned there. One, one is just, I think it's amazing whenever someone ends up in a deep, dark place and they're able to sort of get out of that and, and then gain momentum and get to a higher station in life. I had a, a similar journey myself, although there were different uh, storylines to it. Just, just a lot of struggle from, you know, in my early mid twenties and didn't really figure things out until my late, late twenties. And social media was, was helpful in, in that progress. It is crazy how connecting with other people who are focused on sort of being optimistic and optimizing where that sort of rubs off on you. And it's, it's sort of a, this untapped method of, of getting better, especially Twitter, especially seems to be more oriented in that in that way, because it kind of feels like a, almost like a group chat where you sort of feel yeah. like you know these people in a way. It's different from like <laughs> the other platforms where it's like uh, almost more you're a, you're an observer. It's more passive. You're like, oh, this mm -hmm. is like a nice picture, a nice video, and then the comments yep. are like small as opposed to like we're collaborating, interacting together. And it's it's interesting because it's it's really this new a new thing. And I've and I've talked to so many people who are saying the same thing. Just it, it's it's wild that this is happening and there, there's really, it's not widely known. It's not widespread, but it really is a powerful mm -hmm. way to up level and, and get to a better place in life. Yeah, a hundred percent. I agree. So when you were in the deeper, darker sort of place, uh, years ago in your, in your early twenties, mm -hmm. what, what really kind of shifted was it was it something big or were there were there smaller sort of learnings along the way was was there anything that you can point your finger to that that gave you the sort of shift in, in mindset that allowed you to create a better life for yourself yeah yeah it, it's a four-letter word it's called jail jail has that effect on people um <laughs> there was no magic bullet there dude um i had no intention of stopping anytime soon like i was on a roll actually ironically right before i went to jail i actually went to a, a to jail a month early for stealing that money from my job 
um, I went to the psych ward for the three, the third time. And the reason I went there is because it was a free place to stay. It wasn't bad. And they gave you smoke breaks. That was like my deal breaker. They give me smoke breaks. They gave you smoke breaks. And, um, so I was there for my third time. And the reason I was there is because I had nowhere to go nowhere. I had ripped off all my friends. I had ripped off all my family. And right before I went to the psych ward that last time I had stole my dad's checkbook, wrote a check for $2,000. This would bring the tally I stole from him like to $12,000. He finally had enough. He enabled me enough. He didn't know what to do. And, uh, he kicked me out and I went to the psych ward cause I had nowhere else to go. And my, my grand plan, this is like my grand plan for a year after I got fired from my job. I'm just going to rip this person off, get enough drugs and overdose and die. Like that was, that was Alex's great plan. Like then I could just run away from my problems. So I went to the psych ward and I'm like, shit, I have no one else to rip off. I literally ripped off everyone I could. So my plan was I'm going to go to my mom's house cause they're divorced and I'm going to steal her boyfriend's gun and I'm going to go rob a liquor store, not a liquor store, like a gas station. Literally, this is my mind. I'm going to go rob a store cause I have no one else to rob. I'm going to go rob a store and then I'm going to go rob my drug dealer. We'll pay him because I'm getting the money to pay him. And then I'm going to overdose and die. Like this is a grand plan. You know what I mean? This is a drug addict's mind. And um, I called my dad in the middle of the psych ward because of course I was coming off drugs. Your hormones are everywhere. You're, you're happy. You're sad. You're happy. You're sad. And I felt really bad because I love my dad. He's, a, he's the greatest guy ever. I felt bad that I stole money from him. It's right by Christmas too. So I gave him a call. I'm all crying. Dad, dad, you know what I mean? I'm sorry. I stole that money. He's like, you know, it's fine. I love you, son. I hope you get better. By the way, where are you? And I told him, I was like, I'm, I'm in Clarion Psychiatric again. And he's like, oh, okay. You know, I hope you get better and get out and get better. I was like, yeah, yeah. Little did I know he was being a little narc behind my back. And he called the police on me and said, hey, they've been looking for me. Like, hey, I found him. He said he's in Clarion Psychiatric. So I'm going to get out of there that day. And they're like, sir, we got to put you in this room before we let you go. And I'm like, huh, that's really weird. Because this is the third time I've been here. And I never had to get put in this room before. You know what I mean? I've been here. I know this song and dance. And uh, so I'm sitting there twiddling my thumbs, waiting to get out to go devise this plan that I had schemed up in my mind. <laughs> Wouldn't you know the police walk in? And I was so mad because in that instance, I'm like, that son of a bitch told on me because that's the only guy I called. And, uh, you know, th I'm so thankful for that because he saved my life because my dumbass probably would still be sitting in jail had I went and robbed that store. Hey, who knows? Maybe the guy is Pennsylvania. It's a it's a concealed carry state. Maybe he shot me. You know what I mean? Um, so I'm extremely blessed that my dad did that for me. He was really just looking out for me. And even the guy who pressed charges on me at the restaurant, greatest guy I've ever met, did so much for me. He saved my life by pressing charges on me and sending me to jail. And we're actually good friends today, which is a great blessing in my life. But uh, yeah, he's, that was a turning point, man. I went to jail and for the first month, I didn't call anybody. I'm like, I'm never talking to my family again. They sold me out. Screw them. And uh, of course, after that month, I was like, starting to turn a corner because I was like, shit, man, I hate jail and I need my family. And I, I started to realize, like, I started to gain clarity in my life. I was like, wow, I've been a freaking idiot. And uh, just from there, I just, you know, from a jail phone, man, pay, calling my dad once a week, just reforming that relationship and then going to rehab and him coming to see me with my sisters and them being kind of standoffish, which I, I understood because I was like, dude, I did a lot to you guys. And not to mention, you know, um, in that same year, well, it was actually a year later, um, you know, my, my family's home had caught on fire. I lost my stepmom. My dad lost his, his wife of 15 years and I lost my baby brother, his son. And, and not to mention that you got your oldest son being a dumbass drug addict out there, you know, and he has to deal with not only the loss and the pain and the grief from that, but he has to deal with his son literally driving his life to the ground. So I, I didn't put that in perspective because I was so selfish at the time. And, you know, it wouldn't be for years later that him and I really had to sit down talk and really, you know, cleared the air on that. But 
it was just, you know, the drug addiction makes you so selfish and it's, it's crazy to think about, but like the turning point was jail because I've never been in jail before. And anybody who's never been in jail before, I don't recommend going. It's not a nice place. They don't accommodate you very well. Um, you know, you really realize the the littlest things in life that you appreciate, you know, even the littlest thing is coming down to having quality toilet paper or something, you know, it's just these little things that you don't think about in normal life that you don't have. And, you know, uh, you, it's that old cliche, but you don't know what you have until it's gone. And that, it's a great thing. Wow, man. I can't imagine that's like, that's, that's, that's a rough, that's, that's a rough deal, you know, deal the cars, but it sounds like you're able to, you know, take that and, and learn from it. And I know a lot mm -hmm. of people who go through that, you know, they just kind of end up back mm -hmm. in the same, same pattern, same cycle. There's a lot of, there's a lot of recidivism. I can't say that word recidivism, you know, just essentially going back to jail. Majority of the people I was in jail with were frequent flyers. Like I know the guard by name basis. And that was another shift in perspective. I'm like, I don't want to be that person, man. I don't want to be the person that you know me. Oh, Hey Alex, it's you again. <laughs> Hell no, man. We ain't never seeing each other again. <laughs> I guess what's coming to mind is, even digging deeper back before all this shit hit the fan when you were first getting into opiates, I know this is a another big problem that a lot of people in this nation are struggling from. Right now, as we speak, there are massive trucks driving all across the highway system, carrying tons upon tons of opiates to fuel mm -hmm. addictions that Americans are, are struggling with. What what do you think was missing from your life at that at that time? Like what what was the root cause of, of the opiate addiction that kind of fueled this entire sort of downstream consequences that, that you had to deal with? I've, I've spent a lot of time with this stuff right here, um, pen and paper. Uh, and that was my biggest, my biggest help in really deciphering this addiction thing for myself. And uh, I pinpointed it back to fourth grade. It's a weird place to start, but it's fourth grade. And uh, my parents divorced around that time. And I was going through some hardships. I had two sisters and a brother. And, you know, my dad was working 12 to 16 hour days because he's a single dad. My mom was an alcoholic and, you know, he's supporting us kids. So we didn't see him a lot. And that sucked because, you know, it's your dad and your mom's out getting drunk, never seeing her. She'll pop in your life. She'll leave. But I started acting out a lot in school um, and being the class clown. And I realized because I wanted attention. I was starved for attention. So how did I find it? I'd be the jackass in school, make everybody laugh. You thought they loved me. So I always felt like I had to act a little more extra to get friends and stuff in life. And I was just looking for that that love I wasn't receiving at home. And that would just, you know, transpire growing up, you know, then in middle school, you start drinking with your friends, you start smoking weed. And I was always a jackass doing the dumbest stuff at the parties, going extra, being extra, doing all this stuff, getting the drunkest, anything I could do crazier than anybody else to make be like, yeah, did you see what Michael did? Yeah. But did you see what Cherry did? Could people call me Cherry? Yeah. So like I was always that guy and it always got me in so much trouble and put me in the wrong circles, you know, I kind of toned down when I was 20, 21. But then, you know, after breaking down all those damn walls, you know, you already said, like, if you do one thing, you're opening the door for something else. And I was opening the door to other people and other experiences in my life. So I was working in the restaurant, hanging around the wrong people. We go to my apartment every day after work. I lived right across the street from a bar. We go down there after work. We'd smoke a blunt. We'd go to the bar. One day, the guy brought over uh, oxycodone, which is a prescription opiate pill. He's like, yo, man, you want to smoke this? Never done it before. I'm like, is it going to get us high? He's like, yeah. I was like, we'll say no more. Let's go. And uh, that's really what sprung it. And <laughs> funny story about that. So we did that for probably a few months. 
Um, and it's one of those things where it starts out once a week and then twice a week and three times a week. And next thing you know, you're doing it every day. And it, it, I didn't think anything of it. I'm just a young, dumb kid, you know? One day I didn't have the pill for like 36 hours. And I was uh, at work being a bartender and I was sick as shit. Like I felt like I had the flu. And I was so naive because I was like, man, I must have the flu. I'm so sick. I'm irritable. You know, I have a runny nose. I can't think right. And I texted that guy who introduced me to the pill. And I was like, yo, man, um, you got any more of those left? Like, I think I have the flu. I just need to feel better. I think this will help. He's like, nah, man, I don't got that. But I got something else. Come down to your house. I had a house at the time with a few buddies. So he was down there. And I went down there and I was like, what's up? And he's like, well, I don't got the pill, but I got this bag of heroin. And at the time, I thought there was a difference between heroin and this opiate, this prescription opiate. I thought I was a pinky up high class guy for doing the prescription pills. And I thought there was a difference. I was so dumb. And I also didn't know that I didn't have the flu. I had withdrawal because I was an idiot. You know what I mean? Like I was addicted. I had no idea. And as soon as I did a hit of that, that heroin, dude, all the sickness went away all of it was gone. And I was like, Oh yeah, get me more of that. And it was cheaper and it was cheaper. I'm like, fuck yeah, this is great. And uh, so dude, that's just off to the races there, man. You know, it starts out with three bags a day, $60 a day, three days later, you're doing $80, three days later, you're doing a hundred dollars and you know, so on and so forth at the high point, dude, I was doing $400 a day worth of heroin, which is why I subsequently had to start stealing from my job. Cause what bar bar manager has $400 a day to spare on a house payment and fucking drugs. So like it just spiraled out of control and yeah, everything I was doing, I knew was wrong, man. But I'll tell you what, the, the power to get high and to not feel like shit really overpowered the feeling of, uh, the, the moral, the moral dilemma I found myself in as from stealing from somebody. Man. Wow. That's $400 a day of heroin. That, it's tough to conceptualize. Like, how much how is, are you doing it? Like three times a day at that point is, is are, that's inject. You're injecting it too, right? Is that the way that you? No, 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 no. I I was snorting it. Snorting. Okay. So that's. Yep. Man, yeah, that's that's quite a that's quite a lot. What is? I've never done heroin. What what is it? What is it like? What's what's the experience like? So I think a lot of people have this misconception of heroin because I think different drugs do different things to people. So when people like when people in my town saw, saw, see me in the paper for getting fired for stealing all that money and doing heroin, they couldn't believe it because I was like you see me now. I was an energetic person. Uh, imagine you took an Adderall and you're all hyped up like that's how I was on heroin. Because the thing was, I wasn't getting really high on heroin at that time. I was just like maintaining. I was addicted to the max and I was just maintaining. Um, people have this image of like this guy sitting in some dungy apartment in the dark, like all strung out doing heroin. Like that wasn't me. Like I was going a hundred miles an hour. Um, you know, $400 a day is about 20 bags of heroin. And I was storing it periodically throughout the day. Every 30 minutes I was in the bathroom, breaking up another bag right up the nose. You know what I mean? And that's how I kept going. And that's how I was just surviving. Um, there was never a point where I was getting high anymore. It was literally, I don't want to feel sick anymore. My body was so, uh, needing that that drug to maintain and survive um and now know knowing what i know now about addiction this all essentially comes down to a dopamine response and like my body is just starved for dopamine if i didn't have it i would just be down in the gutter sad miserable talking like this you know wide-eyed staring at nothing so uh you know it was just uh it was just kept going. And I wouldn't, I, you know, it's funny thing is when I really tried to commit suicide the day before I went to the psych ward, cause my dad kicked me out. I had never injected it before. Cause I thought, nah, I hate needles. So I was always snorting it and I stole 20 bags of heroin from my dealer. 
and I went to Walmart, I bought a case of needles and I'm watching YouTube videos because I don't want to ask anybody how to do this because I don't want anybody involved. So I'm YouTube and how do you inject heroin? And um, so I go to my, my dad's shed because he kicked me out and I'm like, all right, I'm going to commit suicide for real. Like this is the first time that I was really going to do it. I took all those 20 bags out. I took a bunch of, I wrote a bunch of suicide notes in the notes thing on my phone. I put a sticky note on my phone beside me, said, look at this. You know, it was, it was fucked up. And, <laughs> and so I, I go to, I go to inject all this heroin and I did. And I'll tell you what, one of the saddest feelings in the world is trying to really kill yourself and waking up the next day. That is a sad feeling, my friend, because you're like, oh shit, <laughs> that was my last plan. What the fuck do I do now? And, uh, you know, it wouldn't have been until I got to the psych ward. And I'm talking to all those people there. Uh, I will tell you what, if you want to meet some colorful people, go to the psych ward for a week. They are very interesting. They're very good people. They just had hard lives. That's what I've realized. But uh, I tell them my story about what happened. Like, I tried to kill myself. And I told him, and the guy looks at me. He's like, you fucking idiot. You diluted it too much. I'm like, well, no shit. No shit. I'm talking to you, buddy. But that's the funny thing. You're only supposed to put a little bit of water in the syringe when you inject it. And dude, I filled that fucker up the whole way. And thank God I did. And that's what really started to like plant a seed with religion in my mind because I'm like, dude, I've had so many close calls. I'm like, like I should have been dead, but I'm not. And I and I really like to believe there's a reason for that because like I should be fucking dead right now. You know what I mean? And uh, it just blows my mind. I'm like, whew, thank you. You know, for for a little bit, I was like, God dang it, I wish I would have died. And now I'm like, thank God I didn't die, man. <laughs> I love life. It's beautiful. That's intense. Wow. Man. Yeah, that's it's definitely a blessing that, that you were able to make a mistake, you know, a mistake about the way that that I, unfolded. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's uh yeah, lucky, lucky, uh, lucky mistake there. And yeah, that's 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 gotta be the real rock bottom moment a lot of this kind of just culminating into a rock bottom moment where you were then able to to rebuild you know off of that and and to become the man you are today and and mm -hmm. still on a track to continue becoming the man you will be tomorrow and, and a year from now five years from mm -hmm. now do you do you have like a vision in mind of of what you're wanting to become who you who you're striving to be or, or is it still sort of coming together or like how do you how do you perceive the future and, and so a lot a, a lot of it's still coming together um but i think the biggest thing and and what i've realized is i have this and i this is not me trying to boost my own ego but i've been told by many many people you know like i have this this natural energy this charisma where it i don't want to say inspires but maybe inspires like i have a very unique story i know how to talk to people and uh, I would attribute the talking to people and the social skills from the years being a bartender. That's what you do. You talk to people. You learn how to get better with it. And my biggest plan right now is to share my story, you know, mainly around my youth and my the the youth in my area because a lot of the rural areas, and I live in rural America, rural Pennsylvania to be exact. And you know, it's just been decimated by drug addiction. It's so sad. And there's a lot of I can name a dozen families who either lost. You know, there, there's young kids who lost a parent or maybe in some instances, both parents to drug addiction. Now they're being raised by an aunt or a grandma or something. And it's so, so sad. And uh, it's everywhere in my county. There's not a week that goes by that somebody else that I know has not overdosed because now they're putting fentanyl in drugs and it's fucking killing everybody. If I was still in the drug game now, I'd probably be dead because there's fentanyl in the drugs. And one insanity marker about addiction is, and people cannot believe this when I tell them that. 
when you hear one of your friends overdoses on heroin, you don't say, oh, how is he? You say, where did he get those drugs? Because I want some. Because you know that they're good drugs. And that's a hard thing to wrap your mind around, but it's the truth because you know they're good. You know they're strong. Um, so I really want to bring my story to the youth around my area. And the, re- and the way I want to do that is through health and wellness because I know that the biggest thing that helped me um, get clean and subsequently stay clean is health and wellness and being involved in a community. So I don't know how. Um, I don't know. I haven't built the ship on how to do this, but I have the idea. I have the schematics in my mind. And now it's just a way to bring it to my community somehow and, and amplify that message so that more kids, um, because of course, you know, kids are sponges. They're going to essentially do the, the things that their parents did. And if their parents aren't there, they don't have those role models. And I want to bring that to my town so the next generation does not have to commit the same atrocities that their parents did. You know, this is how we stop the drug addiction. You know, we don't, you know, I hate this sticker that I see on trucks everywhere. It's like, shoot your local heroin dealer. It's like, yo, they're a person too. Like they're going through shit. You know how you do this. You got to fix the problem. This isn't people that are addicted to drugs. They've got underlying trauma. Every addict that I've talked to, I was in Narcotics Anonymous for a very long time. And every single addict that I've talked to and I've helped walk through the 12 steps and everything, like, it's not that they just decided one day, hey, I'm going to do heroin. You know what I mean? It's like they've had some shit years and years. Like I went all the way back to fourth grade. They probably can go back that far or further and say like, hey, this fucked me up. I didn't know it was in my subconscious. And it dictated almost like a puppet master pulled me in different directions in my life. And I didn't even know it because your subconscious does that. So if we can figure out the trauma and nip that in the butt right there, dude, that is how we solve this. We don't kill people and we you know jail is essential for a lot of drug addicts i i will say that i agree 100 percent with that but like there there is some unresolved trauma that needs to be resolved and uh the best way to do that for children and that's where i think this problem stops the next generation you know people want this problem solved yesterday but guess what i'm sorry it's probably not problems not going to be solved for another 10 years it's just the reality of the situation it's the long game you know you have to inspire the youth to be like we don't want to go down that road and you have to give them the tools to say we don't want to go down that road you can't just say like they did when i was a kid and probably when you're a kid case don't do drugs why just don't do them you'll ruin your life well how just don't do them well fuck you told me that too but why why you know Last week, I had the pleasure of going into a middle school and sharing my stories two days in a row, which is amazing. And I've actually been leaning into going into more uh, middle schools and high schools as of lately and just sharing my story. And I always go in there and tell them the first thing is like, I'm not here to tell you not to do drugs. And all the teachers are like, what? We, we wanted you to come in here and tell them not to do drugs. I'm not here to not tell you to do drugs. The, the thing I hated the most when I was a kid was authority and people telling me what to do. I'm not here to tell you not to do drugs. What I'm here to do is to tell you what happened to me when I did drugs. Listen to my story. Look at me now. I'm the best representation, who I am today, how I look, um, of who I am today. And do you want to mimic me? Do you want to be who I am today? Or do you want to be that Alex from six years ago that is has a big-ass beard, long hair, and weighs 130 pounds soaking wet? You know what I mean? Like It should be a no-brainer for kids. Yeah, that's a really powerful message and a way to – focus on the problem, looking at the long game and working with the youth to make a better future because yeah, you know, going out and shooting people won't accomplish much in, in the long term. <laughs> no, because it's just like, 
like a weed. Somebody else is going to pop up. It's capitalism. You know what I mean? It's somebody's going to pop up and fill that void in the market. You know, you're never going to get rid of it just by saying the drug dealers. You know what I mean? It's just, it's, it's much more deep rooted than that. Yeah. I'm curious, like, you know, I had a similar experience growing up where you just start doing, doing drugs because it's like, it's cool. And it's like interesting, you know, it's mm-hmm. so much of life is just so boring, especially in school. Yeah. And then it's like, what yeah. do you do? What do you like, what are we supposed to do? I grew up in like rural New Hampshire. Okay. It wasn't super rural, I guess like suburban, but yeah, there's just nothing to do. And, and even here in the city, I spoke to people who grew up here in, in LA and it's like, they're doing drugs, you know, young too, just because it, it's everywhere. It's like, it's just what people do because there's nothing else to do. And especially as, as a man, it, you want to sort of challenge yourself and face danger like there's no rite of passage, I guess you could say, where it's like, mm-hmm. I just want, <laughs> I just want to, you know, find my limits, push my limits. I want excitement. I want to feel like I'm alive. And it's yeah. like, what the heck, what do we do if it's not drugs? You know, in a way it's where yeah. it's like, need that alternative to some degree. Are you asking what the alternative should be? I guess. Yeah. What, what, what would you suggest to, to, to kids who are in that situation who are like, Hey, you know, drugs are the best, the best thing going right now. I'm not going to lie. Drugs are amazing. <laughs> like, I'm not going to sit here and say they are, you know, and I wouldn't say it to a group of kids, but like drugs are fucking great. You know, they do exactly as they're intended to do. Um, they make you happy. They, they enhance feelings. They suppress feelings. You know what I mean? Uh, they heighten moods. They do exactly what they're intended to do. And to say that no kid is ever going to try a drug. Well, of course, um, it's the mystery of everything. You know what I mean? It's, it's you see your dad come home and drink a beer. Oh, I wonder what that's like. Or in marijuana is becoming more prevalent. And then of course, you know, people call those gateway drugs and they are in the sense of they break down walls of you've already opened the door to mind altering substances. Why not another? You know, and that's what it comes down to, because if you were to never smoke or drink, well, you'd be less likely to say, I'm going to do heroin because you haven't done those steps. It's almost like imagine a stairway, like heroin and all that stuff is like four steps up. Like you got to go on the first few steps before you get there. So uh, the alternative, I believe, is just getting involved in something bigger than yourself. And that's really my vision. Like, so my particular vision for what I want to do is I want to make like a gym, like a regular gym that you go and lift at, but connected to that is a basketball arena, Um, essentially a basketball academy of sorts. Basketball is my favorite sport. I love it. And of course, it makes sense that I would make something like that because I'm good at it. I like to coach it. And um, that's what I want to bring to the community as, as something like getting kids involved in a sport, a team sport, you have those positive influences. And even more so than that, you have those positive role models that you can look up to. I remember growing up some of the, you know, uh, my aunt's boyfriend, my aunt is probably about 10 to 15 years older. I mean, she's, she's quite young and she had a boyfriend at the time. And that guy, I was in sixth grade. He used to take me fishing every year uh, around April, the first week of trout season. He let me stay at his house. Um, we go fishing every year. He took me hunting. It was freaking great, dude. I remember how much I looked up to this guy. Didn't drink, didn't smoke, but he lived this life of like an outdoors guy. And I fucking loved it, dude. He took me under his wing when he didn't have to. And I always think about that. Cause I'm like, that was a positive role model in my life. Like I looked up to Tim. He was a great guy. And I'm like, if more kids had that, a guy they could look up to, like, you know, say like me or another coach are like, oh, like say you were a coach there, you know, look, look at Case, man. He's in shape. He's a good guy. He's got a good head on his shoulder. He eats really good. He's got such a good outlook on life. Like I want to be like Case when I grow up. Like that's what kids need. They need to look at that opposed to when they don't have that, they're going to find that role model somewhere. And nine times out of 10, it's going to be a bad influence. It's going to be the drug deal. Like, oh, look at him. He's got a nice Rolex and he makes a lot of money. He drives that Cadillac, but he's selling dope, you know? So 
they they're going to have an influence and they're going to have somebody they aspire to be. Um, I, I think everybody growing up had a favorite sports team and they're like, I love this player. And they wanted to be just like him. Everybody in the eighties or nineties are like, I want to be like Mike, you know, everybody wanted to be a professional basketball player. So instilling more positive role models into the world um, is, is what is going to help the youth come out of this. And especially again, you look at the drug numbers. I think uh, drug overdoses last year toppled every uh, causable death that was out there. Over a hundred thousand people died from drug overdoses. Now think about that number. Think about how many of those hundred thousand people had kids. So when you think about that, now you got a kid growing up with that one parent. We all know the statistics, and maybe some people don't of growing up in a single uh, parent household, especially in today's economic uh, welfare. You know, it's absolutely abysmal. Absolutely abysmal. So you not only do you have the stress of losing a parent, but you have the stress of never seeing your other parent because she's working all the time and the stress of you're broke. So there's a lot of hardships that come with that. And uh, again, this is what drives people in, and especially kids to do bad things. Because at the end of the day, um, this is how you solve the problem, the kids. Yeah. They definitely need positive role models who are, who are living life in a way that, that is more long-term focused, which means not doing drugs that are going to compromise that vision, that, that mission, that purpose, that meaning, that goal, because it, it's too much of a cost. Like we're not, we're not doing these, not going on benders and, and, and snorting heroin every, every 20 minutes because it's just, yeah. it's just not going to be supportive of, of, of the mission and the vision and the meaning that we have for life. I, I do believe that we all have a certain calling. We all have a certain destiny in a, in a way that we yep. can create. And it's, likely in every child's mind, you know, it wasn't in mine. I just didn't quite realize what it was. It was never kind of presented as like, no, this is the thing you have to follow because as we grow up, it's like, no, we're going to follow money and you're going to follow what feels good, which like drugs kind of fall in that category. It's like sugar when you're growing up, like cake and celebration and pizza and like all these tasty, awesome things because we have all these neurochemicals (laughs) flooding our brain. And then it's like, well, you just keep following that. A lot of people keep following that because that's where they get meaning in life where it's like, yeah. I'm just going to get high on food or on, on drugs. And that's such a, a powerful part of reality, but it's got to be put in a, in a certain place because there are other ways to get high, like love and hugs mm. and mm. building a successful business or relationship or garden or fitness is a great way. You can get really high doing barefoot sprints out on the field. And that high, I don't, I don't know about you, but like that's comparative. That's almost probably better than most of the, any of the highs that have gotten through any sort of substance mm. on it. It's just, it's an amazing high on its face. Forget about the fact that you had to like work for it. It's, it's not really work sprinting. It's fun. It's like an amazing experience. And at the end, it's just, it feels so good. And it's your entire body mm. is just glowing. And so there are ways to get high outside of substances and, and they're pretty accessible for most people. Two points off that one. I tried to buy the domain hugs, not drugs. It was taken. I was pretty sad about that. And uh, two, one of the greatest satisfactions I can get in my life. And if if five year if twenty five year old Alex could hear thirty one year old Alex, he'd probably try to beat the shit out of him. But I'd put him in his place. I would. Um, there's nothing better than writing out a to do list and accomplishing everything on that to do list. Like that satisfaction of actually accomplishing something that small and everything that you highlighted there, these little things. And it really comes down to exactly what you said is that dopamine response. And now we live in an age where dopamine is getting abused left and right. Uh, Computers, social media, TV, food, like all this stuff that is hijacking kids. So they don't see the immense value in the connection of like the, the dopamine release you get from having that connection with somebody, giving somebody that hug, telling somebody you love them. Um, 
setting out a task and accomplishing it, like these little things that should give us so much joy, it does give them nothing. And why? Because they can play a video game and get 10x that enjoyment and that dopamine from that opposed to that. So the things that really matter in life don't matter because their dopamine has been hijacked. And uh, that is a sad reality of the situation. It is. It is. And, and one framework that was has been helpful for me in overcoming depression, which is in a way I view this as just a lack of feel good neurochemicals. Mm-hmm. We've got dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin, and endorphins. You can shorten that to an acronym called DOSE. And it's like, oh, I need a dose. So we dopamine, mm-hmm. we all know how to get dopamine. Like dopamine that. Too, it's so easy to get. It's everywhere. So we easy. Have, overdosing on dopamine. Oxytocin, a little bit difficult to get. Hugs, physical touch, uh, jujitsu, yes. um, dogs, petting dogs. You can even give yourself a massage um, if, if you want to do something like that. That's going to release some oxytocin. Then serotonin, that's like to do list. Like I'm making progress in my life. You get some serotonin. Mm-hmm. It feels so good and unique and you have to earn serotonin. There's no easy way. Yeah. And that's part of the reason why it feels so good. And then the endorphins, that comes from exercising, man. You can get yep. high off endorphins. Endorphins oh, feel dude. really good, dude. That that whole list it feels absolutely amazing. And then this comes down to a deeper issue: is like what people are putting into their bodies. You know, a majority of the serotonin is located in your gut. But if you're slugging down four Mountain Dews a day and eating freaking McDonald's four times a day, well, your serotonin is not going to be too happy. And when you should be releasing that chemical, you're not going to because your gut health is at absolute disarray. Um, it's like a multifaceted problem because everything can go back. Like you can go addiction. You can multi-prong that problem. You can say, oh, kids aren't exercising as much. Kids don't have as much meaning. Oh, kids' diets and nutrition is absolutely abysmal. Like it's all these kids aren't getting enough sunlight. Like all these things are a multifaceted problem where, you know, we as a society, and you don't even have to be a drug addict to suffer from a majority of these symptoms to realize, like, just look at the obesity rate right now. Even more so, look at the uh, adolescent obesity rate, which is abysmal and it's horrible and it's getting worse. Um, it's a 20% increase in the last 20 years. It's fucking insane. These are our kids who are getting fatter. And and then you look at the education system, and I hate to sound like a pessimist in all this, and I, and I and it surely does. However, I'm so optimistic in the future because I see what's going around in the Twitter circles, and I go into my community as well, and there's so much good things that people – they often overlook because if you stay on social media too long, you can get the doomer perspective. And I've been there and I'm like, wow, the world's going to shit. But then I go walk around my community and I see these food drives and people are running fundraisers for somebody who has cancer and they're doing all these amazing things. I'm like, ah, the world's not over. Like things are going good. People are trying hard out there. At the end of the day, people are trying their best. And what I've realized is it's not that they're trying to um, purposely like drive their life in the ground. They're just doing their best with what they have. And what they need is more education and more people such as myself, such as yourself, on social media sharing the story. I've gotten my last five personal training clients off people who never engaged with one of my posts, silent lurkers. They've, and they've taken all the information I put out there. They messaged me and said, hey, man, I've been doing all this. I just need a little more help. I'm like, oh, dude, I didn't even know you existed because you never like any of my shit. You never comment on my shit. And it's just like there's people out there watching. I want to do is put the best version of me and things that helped me along the way out on the internet with the occasional sprinkle of a shit post because who doesn't love that? So it's just putting that out there, man. But I think the world is in a good spot. Um, I read a book, Factfulness, uh, by some Swedish guy. Um, and it really puts things in perspective for me because if you're if you're feeling pessimistic about life, read that book. And um, he talks about all the good things that are happening in the world, like world hunger. Less people are hungry today than were 10 years ago. 
than were 20 years ago. Like things are getting better. More women are getting educated around the world. Like that's a good thing. All these things are getting better. But if you watch the news, um, it goes back to that, that Eagles guy who sang that song about the news, you know, she'll tell you the news with a glimmer in her eye, you know, it's all about how the news is shit. Essentially. It was a great song, but it's just like, the world's great, man. You just have to go out and experience it. Beautiful, man. That was, that was a great, really powerful riff. I enjoyed, enjoyed every moment of that. And it's, and you've got a unique perspective on it too, because you, you've been in the really the deepest, darkest part of reality that one can go. I know there were probably some deeper, darker crevices that you could have really snuck into if you wanted to, but man, you were, sure. you're down at the bottom. You went to, went to jail. We're addicted to heroin and you got off it. You came clean. You, you rose above it. And that's really what we need at a, at a collective level. And, and you know how to do that. Like you, you've got the experience, you have the wisdom of going from the rock bottom, coming up and you can share what helped you so that others can make a similar progress up the ladder of ascension, of self-actualization, of, of getting away from the things that are destroying our species in, in a deep and, and destructive way. And it, it's an amazing story and process that you've been for, been through. I'm really looking forward to to your journey as, as you go through this continued process because you've got a lot of momentum now. You have a ton of energy, an amazing level of charisma, and I'm excited to see how this unfolds. Is there anything that you'd like to to share with everybody listening as a, as a parting message? Yeah, let me close it out with this. <clears throat> Nietzsche said this best. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And it's 100% true. My story is not unique. There is a lot of stories like mine. I just so happen to be here and we so happen to connect. You got to think about it like this. And everybody has this. You go through a terrible adversity in your life and then you get out of it. You never thought you could, but then you do. Whatever it is. Now, pain is relative to you. You get out of it and then you go, something else happens in your life. That would suck. And it does suck, but it doesn't suck as bad as you thought it would. Why? Because you already went through some shitty and that made you stronger. Um, there's tons of studies on this and it's absolutely amazing to think about, but it has to do with the pleasure pain release and the dopamine in your mind. You know, you you thrive off that. What does not kill you makes you stronger. And, and the only advice I'd give to anybody who's listening to this, who's maybe is going through a hardship in their life or, you know, or even if you haven't and you're, I can promise you this, if you're alive right now, and you're going to be alive for a while. You're going to go through some shit. It's going to suck. You're going to have to get out of it. You're going to think it's the end. And I can promise you this. You're going to make it through it. Keep going. And once you make it to the other side, when you thought you never ever, ever could, and you do, you're like, wow, I never thought I could make it to the other side, but I did. It's going to make you stronger for the next thing that happens in your life. The only advice that I, I try to reiterate to everybody all the time is keep going. People say it on Twitter all the time. Just keep going. Just keep going. It's a trope. But really think about it. No matter what happens, if you just keep trucking along, no matter what. It's all you have to do at the end of the day. It's very simple. Powerful. Alex Cherry, thank you. Case, thank you, brother. 